You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Kids are dismissed for Redemption Kids, the mass exodus that is nine, nine o'clock service. Uh, it's great. Uh, so thankful for that ministry and what God's doing in uh, the lives of our children and um, trusting that as they hear the truth of God's word that one day soon they'll understand uh, it's not just mom and dad's faith, but they need a faith of their own as well. And so it's what we pray for as they... Uh, as they continue to grow in, uh, in their knowledge of Him. Uh, just uh, uh, welcome to those joining us online today. If for one reason or the other you're, you're needing to join us online, we just want to say that we are thankful that you're with us today. And uh, if you want to just indicate you're with us by uh, just jotting a note down on Facebook or live stream or whatever you're watching on, uh, that would be great. Well, it's good to be back uh, this morning. Uh, away at uh, Canmore last weekend. Always rough to go to Canmore. Like, who wants to do that? But, you know, sometimes you have to serve the Lord, right? So, um, but it was great uh, being out there and really excited about um, Crossway Community Church and their desire to be a part of the Great Commission Collective. And so just encourage you guys to continue to pray for their church as they seek the Lord's wisdom on that uh, as to whether or not they should be a part uh, of the Great Commission Collective. So, we're going to get back into Romans chapter 13 today. We're ending uh, the chapter um, of, uh, of Romans 13 as, as we anticipate uh, making this transition to 14. Uh, anyone, uh, anyone know what time it is? Uh, anyone? Do you know what time it is? Is that, is that clock right? Is that? Okay, okay great. Um, well, we don't really care about that time. Uh, it's going to be the message today, okay? So, but we do care about what time it is as believers, and in a culture that is obsessed with time, like, like, like maybe not, like at no other time, like it used to be like, you need a Swiss watch, because it really takes, you know, the, you know, really good time, and now it's just like, well, there's an app, you know, whatever, and you got like the, you, I don't know how many, you know, different variations of, of, of the millisecond, you know, you can have no exact time uh, all the time. And then when it comes to life, you can know what you did with your time just by using your phone, right? How many steps did I take today? There's an app for that, right? Uh, how long was I standing? How long did I sleep last night? Like all this, like we're keeping track of time, like maybe like no other time in this world. And yet I think as believers, we've lost track of what time it is in regards to what the scripture talks about time. And when you think about what the scripture talks about time, we, I was at Simeon Trust a couple weeks ago, and when, what the scripture is, is really encouraging us when it comes to the time is to know where, you at, where you're at in the timeline of redemption. You think about God's plan, you know, start Genesis 1, right? God makes the earth and it's really good. 
And, and he tells us that over and over again with each day, that the creation was really good. And, and, and we get that into G Genesis 2 and find about Adam and Eve and just how all that worked and everything was great and the Lord was with them in the garden. And then Genesis 3. And there's a, there's a turn, right? Sin comes into the world. A curse comes upon creation. Things get increasingly worse. The flood and only one family is spared, Noah's family. And, and, and then we see God's plan of redemption kicking in in Genesis 12. He chooses his family, Abraham. He's gonna, I'm going to choose them to be my people. And, 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 and to, I'm going to bless all the nations through them. And you begin through the Old Testament when you see the Abrahamic covenant and then you see the law being given to his people and the, the, the Mosaic covenant and then you get the Davidic covenant and there's this, this, this coming, it's coming, it's coming and finally Christ comes to this earth about 2,000 years ago. And then we have the, 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 the God came in the flesh to this earth. And then he lives the perfect life, but then he is crucified, as was the plan. But on the third day, he rose again. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating the high point for you and I as believers, the, the remembrance of his death and resurrection. There, there, is no, there is no better time to focus on in, in history than that time. Because of that time, we have hope here this morning. And then Christ ascends 40 days later after the resurrection. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon his people at Pentecost. And now we wait. But he's coming again. And he's coming again soon. This is the whole point of time in this passage. We're at the end. We're at the end of the redemption timeline. There is no other event coming. There is no, well, first the Holy Spirit has to come. Oh, first we have to do this. First, No, it is, it's coming. Christ is coming. And so we have to have an anticipation of that here this morning. And I wonder, as we think about our future, if we're so, so much caught up in careers and children and, and all the different things that, we, that are part of the good things of this life that we have been so distracted that we forgot about the fact that he's coming. And I would pray that by the time we're done here this morning, when I say what time is it, you kind of just like take one eye on the sky. Because like, oh, is he here yet? Rather than glancing down at our watches about what the thing we have to do is next, right? So that's the goal. Uh, we need God's help as we look at his word to examine our own hearts. Lord, where do I need to change? And so let's pray together, and then we're going to get into God's word together. God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word, uh, just for the way that it pierces our hearts as it, as it changes our minds. Lord, we, we're so thankful, God. That, that you have not left us to try to figure things out on our own, but Lord, you've given us your spirit, you've given us your word, you've given us the body of Christ. Lord, all these are great gifts from you. And of course, Lord, we celebrate this morning that, Lord, you've given us salvation through Jesus Christ. Lord, we are your children, we are your people, and Lord, we long to be the people you want us to be. God, we thank you that um, Lord, you are patient with us. And this morning, as we look at your word, God, we're, we're praying that, Lord, if there's things that need to be changed, Lord, you would give us humble hearts 
and that, Lord, we will be quick to repent and quick to trust in you for the things we need to trust in you for. And so, God, would you lead us, would you guide us by the power of your spirit this morning? For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so everyone needs a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. The ushers will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. We want to look down at His Word. That's where our hope is. That's, where, that's, what we're here. that's why we're here this morning. It's not to hear a little chit-chat from some guy up in the front of a church. It's to study His Word. That's where the authority is. So Romans chapter 13. But we're going we're gonna to begin by looking again just at context. Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to flip right through to 13, 11 through 14. So let's look together. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And this has launched us into Paul's teaching about what is a a, a life of worship supposed to look like? What is the will of God? And he's, he's taught us verse after verse. And now he summarizes this section in verse 11 of chapter 13. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. To gratify his desires. Three imperatives in the light of the time, the time in which we now live. First, wake up. It's time to look for the Lord. Wake up. It's time to look for the Lord. We see this in verses 11 and 12. He says, first of all, besides this, besides this. So what, what, is, he, what is he saying here? Besides what? Well, it, it could be, if, you, if, you, if you're looking at the context, it could simply that we're to love. We look at verses 8 through 10. God calls us to, to love well. It could be the all of chapter 13, that we are to submit to the governing authorities over us and then to love well. Or, I think better put, and where most commentaries landed, is that this is a summation of what he's been telling us since 12 verse 3. This is what it looks like to live in light of his coming, uh, first coming. But now, besides all that, besides all this that you've been taught, know this, know the time. We need to know the time in which we live. What does he say? Time to wake from sleep. The hour has come for you to wake from your sleep. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, Paul had challenged the Roman believers to live in light of what Christ has done. 
Right? Verse, chapters 1 through 11, he had made it really clear, this gospel which we, which we celebrate every Sunday as we gather together. In light of that gospel, we are to live a particular way. We are our people who have been purchased by the blood of Christ, and so our lives should be different. And a whole lot about love as we've been going through chapter 12 and 13. But it's not just about what he has done, it's about what he's about to do. And so we, we live not just in, in light of what Christ has done in the past, but we live in, what, in light of what Christ is about to do in the future. And so we need to wake up, he says. And maybe spiritually you, you can relate to that this morning. You've kind of been like a bit of a zombie when it comes to things spiritually. You're just kind of, you know, kind of, you know what I'm talking about, right? Where, where, where you're just, you're not... You're not in the word, you're not praying, you're, 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 when it comes to the body of Christ, you're like, eh, I guess we should go to a small group, maybe we'll go to a small group, I'm just so tired from COVID, you know, I don't know, like, so, you know, like we make all kinds of excuses and we kind of be, be a bit zombies and he's saying, wake up, wake up, it's time to wake up from your sleep. And this, this, this wording here is, 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 is a metaphor for us waking up spiritually, Why? Why do we need to wake up? He says this, For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Now, when you first read that, you're like, oh, what is, that seems complex. What does that mean? Well, it just means like you're one day closer than when you got saved in the first place, right? Salvation is closer now than when we first believed. Salvation here, what he's talking about, is glorification. But if we can just take a step back, maybe you're here the first time with us and you, you haven't been with us, has been going through the book of Romans, but when we think about salvation, we, we, we think first of all about our justification. Without the day that you and I were made right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we could put that he has saved us. I'm praying that everyone here this morning can say, I know Jesus as my Savior. That, that you can testify to that moment in your life where, where you were walking in rebellion against him, walking in your sin, but then you heard the gospel and you understood for the first time that you were the sinner that he died for. That, that, that Christ, while he was on the cross, took your wrath that was due you because of your sin. All sin must be punished. It will either be on you or it will be on Christ. But what, that day you realize, it doesn't have to be on me. I don't have to go to hell for my sins. I don't have to spend all of eternity apart from God. Christ has died in my place on the cross. He's took my wrath, and in exchange, he's given me his perfect righteousness. And on that day, you were justified before him. Another way, a simple way to look at that is just as if you have never sinned. I mean, the gospel is incredible. And so if you've placed your faith in him, you are justified before him. You have been saved. But as we've been going through the book of Romans, we also understand that we are being saved. There's this process called sanctification. 
Where, where, where we put away, as we're going to see again in these verses, put away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light, put on Jesus Christ and walk in his ways. That, that process of sanctification is happening now. And Jesus says that, that he, that, or we read in the God's word, that he who began the good work in you is faithful to complete it. And so you, Lord willing, look more like Jesus today than you did last week. And sometimes it's tough to see, especially in our own lives. But I'm praying that week by week, month by month, year by year, you're seeing a conformity to Christ. But what Paul is talking about here is glorification. That day when everything will change forever. You will be free from sin and death and your flesh forever. Forever. And he's saying here, the hour is closer. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. With every day, you're getting closer to that day when you will be glorified, when you'll have that perfect body given to you. And what he's talking about here in this context is that day when the day of the Lord comes and Jesus comes and makes everything right. We can say for sure that people who have died in Christ over the last 2,000 years, they have reached that day of glorification. But in the context, what he's saying, the day of our salvation, the day when Jesus comes and judges all unrighteousness, that's coming soon. And so we're one day closer, he's saying, than you were when you first believed. And every day, and every day, and it's getting closer, and it's getting closer, and it's getting closer. And so in light of that, we ought to live differently. Moose says this, Christians not only are to become what we are, but we are also to become what we will be one day. And then Paul says this, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. This imagery is awesome. The night is far gone. This present evil age that began in the Garden of Eden. It's almost done. It's almost done, he's saying. Look, it's almost over. The day is at hand. Isn't that encouraging this morning? Like, just flip on the news, and it's like, is this ever going to end? This, this chaos of this world, this sin, the, the wars, the crimes, the, the, the hatred, the, everything that we see on a daily basis, is it ever going to end? He said, the night is far gone. It's almost over. The day is at hand. You don't want to be a spiritual sluggard. You want to be awake when he returns because when he returns, you, you don't want to be partaking in this dark world. You don't want to be living for this age. You want to be living for the age to come. Because the day is at hand. All through the scriptures. It's a great study. I just really encourage you to do that. Just do a study on the day of the Lord. All through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, you see this implication that the day is coming. The day when the Lord will come and when he's coming on that white horse this time and he will judge all unrighteousness. And you read the book of Revelation, it's not like, oh, it's going to be this long, drawn-out battle. It's like he's here, it's done. 
It's done. Because that's how mighty he is. There'll be no time like, oh, wait a minute, he's back. Maybe I should get my life right now. Like Maybe I should really start living for him. No, it'll be too late. Jesus warns of that. And because the day is at hand, we ought to live differently. When you think about these images of darkness, that's the way the earth has been. But when Christ came 2,000 years ago, the light came, right? Matthew 4, 16 The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And so there's this imagery of the darkness is here right now, but the light is dawning and it's almost here. Full daylight will be here. The day of the Lord is coming. The kingdom of God has dawned through Christ's first coming, but the present evil age remains and will until Christ's second coming. And then God's kingdom will come in full. Do you know what time it is this morning? Do you understand the significance of the time that you're in? It's often said in the scriptures that we're living in the last days. Are we starting to understand why he's saying that we're living in the last days? Stop puts it like this. What the apostles did know was that the kingdom of God came with Jesus. That the decisive salvation events which established it, his death, Resurrection, exaltation, and the gift of the Spirit had already taken place. And that God had nothing on his calendar before the perusia. I love that. The perusia is the second coming. He has nothing else on his calendar until then. It would be the next and the culminating event. So they were and we are living in the last days. The next major event is his coming. This should certainly motivate us and spur us on to live lives that are shaped by being aware of the fact that Jesus is coming soon. So, in hope, we are watchful. We're ready for his return. We remind ourselves over and over again, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. And really, that's all the scriptures tell us, right? If somebody's like, Okay, I, I, I got a chart, and, and I figured out the date. It's August 22nd, 2022. That's the day Jesus is coming back. Ignore that person. Show them the scriptures and ask them to repent. That The Bible doesn't tell us the exact date. It just says it's coming soon, and you need to be ready. And Jesus warns, as I've already said, And the apostles warn, it's going to come when you don't expect it. That could be today, right? Is today a day that you would not expect it? You probably have some other plans going on, right? It will come at a time we will not expect. And so we need to be ready for his return. The uncertainty of the date does not take away the need for urgency. Throughout the scriptures, you see God's people being challenged to be ready for Christ's return. As Paul has reminded us here, we need to wake up because the time is here. Salvation is nearer than it was and the day is at hand. That's what he's told us. As you look to the future, is the coming event of Christ's return the thing that you're most excited for? 
As you look ahead, is that the thing you're most excited for? Like, God, you can wipe out every thought and plan I have. I, I'm okay with that. If, if, you, if, you, if you're coming tomorrow, that's amazing. I, I don't need to graduate. I don't need to get married. I don't need to see my kids graduate. I don't need to see them get married. That's okay. We can do without that. We'll, we'll take you coming in the fullness of your kingdom any day. Is that where your heart's at this morning? It ought to be, as is people. And we ought to be thinking about it more than just when we mention it at the Lord's Supper every couple weeks. It should be something that's in the forefront of our minds over and over again. It's a theme that you see all through the scripture. So wake up. It's time to look for the Lord. Secondly, stay up. It's time to live for the Lord. There needs to be a daily devotion of continually walking in faithfulness to the Lord as his people. He says, in light of the fact that he's coming, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In light of the three reminders of the imminence of the return of Christ, Paul now gives three commands. First, he says, cast off the works of darkness. He's continuing this darkness imagery. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't take long to think about why he uses the darkness imagery. When you think about sin, what, what, oftentimes when it's, you know, when the accelerator's on, when is it? Not, when is it? It's at night, right? It's when we think that people won't see under the, you know, under the shadows, under the darkness. That's when we, we really go after it. And he says, cast off the works of darkness. The Christian is called to throw off these kinds of works and lives to match their identity that is now in Christ. Again, going back to Romans 1 through 11. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 and 5 says this, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, right, the day of the Lord. You're not in darkness. It doesn't have to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day, and we are not of the night or of the darkness. So we need to cast off the works of darkness, and we need to be ready for Christ's return. We should not be taking part in the works of this present evil age as believers. The Lord has changed all that in Christ. If you're an unbeliever, you, you, don't, you don't want to come to the light, Right? John, John put it like this in John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And in the church, as those who are in Christ this morning, we don't want anything to do with the works of darkness anymore. And so can I just encourage us, there, there needs to be candor amongst us about darkness in our lives. We don't want anything to do with it. We want to expose it to the light. And so if there's things that we're struggling with, sins that we're having troubles, we should be sharing it with one another so that the light is cast upon it so that we can have the freedom that God desires for us. As believers, we're day to daily forsake the works of darkness. We're not only to wake from our slumber, but once you're up, you need to dress in a particular way. And he says this, 
You're to put on the armor of light. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, we're not in heaven yet. Anyone? Like there's still a battle going on every day. Battle against your flesh, battle against Satan, battle against the world. Like that, that's still going on. And so when you wake up each day, wear the appropriate clothing. It says here, put on the armor of light. Of course, Ephesians chapter 6 talks extensively about putting on God's armor. Uh, a verse that puts it more succinctly is 1 Thessalonians 5.8. He says this, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and, put, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Every day we need to immerse ourselves in the gospel, reminding ourselves in the truths of who we are in Christ and then walk accordingly. If you're just gonna go back into zombie mode, it's not gonna go well for you. You need to dress for the occasion. Satan would want to tempt you to go back to those old works of darkness. But we must put on the armor of light, to walk in the light. Ephesians 5 calls the believers to no longer walk in darkness. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That's what we should be doing as believers, exposing the works of darkness in the body of Christ as we confess our sins to one another, and then in the world so that people might repent of their sins and, and cling to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as we proclaim it to them. We are to be people of light. You should look differently than the person who does not know Christ, the person who loves the darkness. We need to hate the darkness and love the light. We need to not only dress properly, we need to behave properly. He's in verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. We're to live our lives as if the day of the Lord is, is imminent, as if the day of the Lord has arrived. In other words, we don't want to keep living in sin and then just flip the switch when the Lord returns. It doesn't work that way. Anybody who thinks that it can somehow calculate, I can, I can sin, 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 but then i got to stop, and then I'm going to really live for him, and then when he returns, I won't be ashamed. That's just, it's, a, it's a fool's errand. We, we must live now properly as in the daytime. He now lists six sins that the believers are not to take part in. He gives them to us in pairs. First, we're not to, to be involved in orgies and drunkenness, then, nor in, in, in sexual immorality and sensuality, nor in quarreling and jealousy. Three different categories, all, all being out of control, basically. The first in regards to, to, to sex, or sorry, to drinking, which leads to sex, obviously, with the orgies, right? The, the, the word here is, is kamos. It, it described any wild partying, orgies, brawls, sometimes even rioting, right? It's the, the picture here is like you've just given yourselves over to your flesh in full abandon. Whether that's, I mean, if, if you ever have had the joy 
of being in club world or, or you know, whatever, whatever you like to do when it came to the drinking days. If, hopefully you didn't have those, but if you did, you know what I'm talking about. And well, those two things, violence and sex, that's what goes along with drunkenness, right? And, and things that people normally wouldn't have done, they do because of what they're involved in. I think it's good to note, sometimes we're like, oh man, we're, the day we live in, it's so wicked, it's so bad, our culture is so bad. I mean, Paul had to say to the believers, hey, don't be involved in the orgies. I mean, how rampant had it been in that society that that was even necessary to say? And so he says, don't, don't be involved in that. The believers have to cast off those works of darkness. They should have nothing to do with that. He continues the theme of, of sex here. He says, not in sexual immorality and sensuality. This is really any sex outside of marriage. And any, any sex outside of one man, one woman for life. They should have nothing to do with that. Again, this has... That, that idea of no self-control, total abandon, total disregard for what God says. That should have, we should have nothing to do with that as believers. But I really love the person. No, you don't. You hate them because you're causing them to sin. There's no love in sex outside of marriage. It's a lie of Satan. As believers, we should have nothing to do with it. I don't care how bad the culture is. I mean, we're seeing it highlighted in Paul's day. It's no different than our day. We need to be set apart. Some of you are like, okay, feeling pretty good so far. Those, those, you know, check, check. But what about this last one? No quarreling, no jealousy. You have any quarreling in your life? Any jealousy in your life? I love I love how the scriptures do that. You're like, you know, you're kind of like, you know, feeling pretty good, you know, and and then he's just like, boom, like, <laughs> you think you're okay? No, you're not okay. You're just, you're we're walking in sin too. And 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 in quarreling and jealousy, I think he's he's bringing these particular sins up here to kind of give us a gateway into Romans 14 and 15. But he's saying that they should have nothing to do with your life. No division, no, no jealousy in the body of Christ. And of course, this list is not ex- exclusive or exhaustive. I mean, this is just a sampling. And he's saying you need to not have any of these works in your life. Instead, we ought to walk properly as in the daytime. Living for Christ, walking in obedience to his, his word should be an increased pursuit in light of his imminent return. That, that's, that's what the day of the Lord does. It, it purifies us. It, it helps us to say, look, I can't be messing around with the things of this world because Christ could come back at any moment and I don't want him to be seeing me do this when he returns. I don't want to be ashamed when he returns. I want to be walking and ready for his return and so I'm going to live differently. I mean, how crazy, and when you look about the, the dates, like, okay, August 22nd, 2022, what, what did people do? They sell their stuff. Like, where do you see that in the scripture? Oh, yeah, by the way, just before he returns, make sure you sell your house and all your possessions. 
for what? It's all going to get burned up. You know, what's the point? No, the point is, in light of his return, we ought to live moral lives, Christian lives, lives that look like him. Peter put it like this in 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, that's a, when, when Christ returns, there's going to be this, this massive destruction. What sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There's this picture in Revelation when, when, when Christ returns, the, the, it says the heavens will roll up. It's like it's done. That chapter's done. Righteousness will now dwell on the new heavens and the new earth, and we, his people, will reign with him. That's what we're living for today. That's what we should be living for today. Maybe one thing that we should do before we move on any further is just to stop and think, Lord, is there any lifestyle, any thought, any activities going on in my life right now that I would be ashamed if you returned right now? I would be like those those wicked people who will, will say, say instead, let the rocks fall upon us and hide us from your wrath. Let us not be like those people. Let us be ready for his return. And if there's things that the Lord is bringing in conviction in your life right now, then fall upon his mercy and grace and repent right now. Don't continue to walk in those ways. Don't continue to, to walk in darkness. It cast those things off. And live as in the day. Three imperatives in light of the time. Wake up. It's time to look for the Lord. Stay up. It's time to live for the Lord. And then hurry up. It's time to look like the Lord. Hurry up. I hope you see that in these verses. There has to be urgency in our lives. I, I don't know why we think that sanctification is something you can just kind of put on cruise control and it just happens? Yeah, I'm 20 right now, but I'm sure by the time I'm 80, I'll be really, you know, mature in Christ. Nope. It, it takes submitting yourself to Christ every day. It takes studying his word. It takes effort. It, it, takes, it takes submission I mean, how many 80-year-olds do we know who are just as immature in Christ as they were 50 years earlier? It doesn't happen just by osmosis. There needs to be an urgency in your life in regards to pursuing Christ. Instead of eating the meat of the word, they're still sipping on milk. I did my... Daily bread for the day. I did my 30-second devotion. Check mark. On to more important things of like my retirement and walking the beach. We 
we can be so easily distracted. We need to hurry up. We need to, to be intentional about pursuing the Lord. Think about it this way. Men, you, you ever had your wives go away? Maybe it was for work or got away with some ladies or something. What was the one question you had for her as she left? What time are you going to be back? Like what, what, you know, like maybe you could give me an exact time. You know, what time would that be? Oh, Sunday at 5? Okay, perfect. And then what's the typical man do? Sunday at 4, it's like, oh, man, I better hurry up and kind of make, do some little cleanup here and put the dishes away. And, you know, it's just like I don't want to make it too chaotic in here when she gets home. I think spiritually, we're like those men. What, what time are you coming back, Christ? What, what time are you coming back? Because I'm going to get right on it. And he's saying, it's time. The time is now. You, you got to live as if I'm coming back today. And you, you need to do that day in and day out. Because I am coming back. And so what are we to do? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But, contrast, instead of pursuing the works of darkness, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Instead of pursuing sin, they are to put on, I love how he puts it, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every word matters. Is he the Lord of your life? Is he the master of your life? Do you wake up and say, here I am, Lord, send me? Or do you have your own agenda each and every day? I'm praying that you would say, I, I'm putting on Christ today. He is the Lord of my life. He is my Savior. He is Jesus, the man who came, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And I will live for him. To put on here is to become bestowed or endowed with a quality or condition understood as being wrapped in a covering. We are to look increasingly like the Lord in our lives. Moose says this, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ means that we are consciously to embrace Christ in such a way that his character is manifested in all that we do and say. In other scriptures, we are told that we are his ambassadors. Every day we get to, to represent him to this lost and dying world. We ought to look like him to the people around us. And we are to make no provision for the flesh. Notice that it does not say we are to make some provision for the flesh. What a lie of Satan, right? Come on, come on. No no provision for the flesh? That's crazy. Some, just a little. I mean, if you, just, if you just sin a little bit, then the big sin won't happen. Right? So just sin a little. It, it's actually good. You ever bought into that lie? Just a little sin? You know, just, just I, you know, as long as I just 
have one or two glasses of wine every day. That's all I need. That's all I need. Need, need. Do you need? You don't need. In fact, what you're doing then is, is because you need that glass or two of wine at the end of a hard work day, just a little, just a little. I'm not getting drunk. I'm not. There's nowhere in the Bible that says I can't have a glass of wine. But if it's in the place where you now need, that's not a good place. You need to stop. No provision for the flesh. Is that, if that's your describing you this morning, you're, you're on a gateway to a place not good. If you're in a place where you need that glass of wine, that beer, whatever the thing might be, that's not good. Because what it's doing is the lie that Satan, the second thing that Satan lies to us about is that we have a better way than him. That, that he's not enough. That I just need a little bit of flesh. I just need to gratify a little bit of its desires. Then we're all good. I'm, I'm mainly in, like 90%, the Lord, look, here I am. Just a little bit of the flesh. Just a little bit of its desires. And then we're okay. But what we're saying then is God is not good. That his ways are not good. That his ways are not best. James Montgomery Boyce, he was a faithful preacher for many, many years. And um, he got sick found out they had cancer and basically had weeks to live. One of his last sermons, he just said, here's what I've learned as he's getting ready to go meet the Lord. He talked a whole lot about the sovereignty of God, and he said, we've been talking about this here forever. But in the sovereignty, here's something else I've learned. And he said this, I've been impressed with mostly is something in addition to the sovereignty of God. He says, it's possible, isn't, isn't it, to conceive of God as sovereign and yet indifferent. God's in charge, but he doesn't care. But it's not that. God is not only the one who's in charge. God is also good. Everything he does is good. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. We've been talking about that over and over again since the beginning of the year. It says that we have the opportunity by the renewal of our minds that, that we might know that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Is that good, pleasing, and perfect to God? Yeah, of course, right? But the point of it is that it is also good and acceptable and perfect to us. It is good for you. It's not just good for God. It is good for you. It is that which is perfect. It is, it is there is no better thing for you than his will. Boyce said this at the end of this. He says, if God does something in your life, would you change it? And then this really key statement, if you'd change it, you'd make it worse. It wouldn't be good. But we get lied to over and over and over again, and we take it hook, line, and sinker, right? Is it really good to, to make no, no, no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires? That seems a little radical. But God knows I need a little me time, a little, just a little flesh time, just a little. It's not good. 
You're, you're choosing second best. You're choosing sin over him. And what he's calling us to say here, says make no provision. And the wording here, this word for provision, that's easy for me to say, for provision is to think about something ahead of time with the implication that one can then respond appropriately to give attention beforehand, to have in mind, to, to have foresight. So in, in making no provision, it's not only saying no in the moment, it's, it's not getting to the moment. It's looking ahead and saying, I, I, you know what? Every time I'm in this place, every time I'm in this situation, it's not good for me. I'm going to start avoiding those situations. I'm not going to put myself in a place where I would be wanting to gratify my desires. I, I need to, to be wise about this. Are there places, are there times, are there situations that you find yourself continually being tempted in? And change the situation. Change the location. Change the, like, do what you can do. Some of you are like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't think I could change anything. Bring that sin into the light and ask a brother or sister. Right? I came up with a silly illustration but I think you'll get the point. I got a problem with gluttony. I, I probably do, but anyway. But I'm, I'm not, it's not confession time, but the, I'm, I'm saying this guy, okay? Okay? <laughs> and, and, you know, he, 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 he does okay until the end of the day, and there's this burger place. He goes by every time from work, and it's just, it's just there. And... You know, at, at noon, he's like, I'm going to be fine. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not going to be tempted this time. But every time he goes by there, he swings in for just, you know, just, just that combo. Just one. You know, I don't need to have two. Just one. And <laughs> I would love to change my situation, but how am I going to change my situation? I mean, I drive by it every day after work. And in your flesh, you're so dumb, because sin makes you stupid, that you think that there is no other way. Well, I can tell you, if you told your brother or sister that thing, they'd say, guess what? You can go home a different way. It might take you five minutes longer, but wouldn't it be better than sinning? Oh, I never thought about that. And so if there are things in your life that, that you know, you just like, you know it. You know it personally. Right now you're thinking of those situations in your life where you're just, it's just not good. And so I'm just encouraging you this morning to begin thinking what it says here. Begin to think about how I'm going to make no provision for its flesh to gratify its desires. We are to no longer live in the flesh and to submit to his desires and demands. We are now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Those, those fleshly desires, guess what? They're going to cry out to you from the time, they cry out to you from the time you're born until the time that you will die. They're not going away. And so you must put on the armor of light. You must put on the Lord Jesus Christ every day so that we're ready when he returns. And there needs to be an urgency in this. Because the Lord is coming back soon. What time is it? 
I hope me asking that question now is different than at the beginning of the sermon this morning. We're in the last days. He's coming soon. Let us live accordingly. Wake up. It's time to look for the Lord. Stay up. It's time to live for the Lord. Hurry up. It's time to look like the Lord. Let's pray. This morning, before we pray, I, I just want to, I want you to just keep your eyes closed. I wanna, I'm just going to read a poem, and I want you to think about the words of it. It says, if he should come today, Christ should come today, and find my hands so full of future plans, however fair, in which my Savior has no share, what would he say? If he should come today and find my love so cold, my faith so very weak and dim, I had not even looked for him, what would he say? If he should come today and find that I had not told one soul about my heavenly friend, whose blessings all my way attend, what would he say? If he should come today, would I be glad, quite glad, remembering that he died for all and none through me had heard his call? What would he say? Lord, help us to be ready for your return. Lord, we thank you for the warning of the scriptures. Lord, in love, you have warned us. In love, you are leading us and guiding us even this morning. God, you want that which is good and acceptable and perfect for each one of our lives. Lord, you have not only accomplished all that we need through the cross. Lord, you've given us your spirit to lead us, to guide us. You've given us your word. You've given us the body of Christ that we might be able to do these things. Yes, in our flesh, we would fail over and over again. But Lord, you've given us all that we need to walk in obedience to these things this morning. God, wake us up. Lord, if we are have been asleep spiritually. God, I pray even this morning, we are hearing your spirit speak to us, wake up. And then, Lord, help us to stay up. Help us to walk by putting on the armor of light, casting off the deeds of darkness each and every day, Lord, until you return. Lord, help us to be urgent about these things for your glory and for your honor. Lord, help your light to be shone through us to this lost and dying world. And we're praying, Lord, that you would save people from the destruction to come, from the day of the Lord when you will, your wrath will be poured out on all sin. God, I pray you would help us to save many as we proclaim the truth of your word. Lord, I even think about this Easter season, this, this time where people are more open to, to, to maybe come to church. God, help us to be bold and invite them. Lord, for your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.